We can turn then to the Old Testament for our Old Testament reading, which is also our sermon text for today, and that is found in Genesis chapter 45, verse 16, through, chapter, through the end of chapter 46. So we'll read all of chapter 46, but start in chapter 45, starting in verse 16, which is where we left off last time. Last time we saw the culmination of, of Joseph's tests of his brothers. They indeed had, had changed in their attitude towards their brother and to their father, that they loved their brother Benjamin, that they loved their father, and uh, no longer were envious or jealous. And Judah himself even offering himself in place of Benjamin. And so Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. He not only did that, but he also received them, welcomed them, wept upon them, comforted them, that they would understand that this was good news and, and not fearful news that this was indeed Joseph and that he was alive, that he was also forgiving. Now we come to chapter 45, verse 16, as he gives instructions and as Pharaoh gives instructions on where to go from here, what, what to do next. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours." The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh, and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. <clears throat> but when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes, 
Then Jacob sent out from, set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Pelu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Yakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan, and the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamuel, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Yahil, Yalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Paddan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Hagi, Shuni, Ezbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Beriah, with Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Malkiel. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph, and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Becher, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. The son of Dan, Hushim. The sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, and Shalem. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, who were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. 
and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we give thanks to you for your deeds of old, which are profitable even unto us, for you are the same God, unchanging and perfect, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and our God as well. We ask that you would teach us and instruct us by your word that we might uh, practice true piety, that we might uh, live in accordance with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage, uh, which brought together, even though it's a, a lengthy passage, as it tells the news to uh, Jacob, their father, they send word to him, he gets the word, and then he responds to the word, and he comes to Egypt. In the midst of it, of course, there's this genealogy, um, which to some degree we've been expecting, because we heard that these are the generations of Jacob, that was the beginning of this section of Genesis, and now we get the genealogy, uh, which is also describing the move of this household into uh, Egypt, which is pretty pivotal in the history of Israel. This had already been prophesied back in God's words to Abraham, that his people would live in Egypt or in a house of bondage, in a foreign land at least, for many years, for 400 years, before returning to possess the land of Canaan. And of course, it's in Egypt that the next book of the Bible, Exodus, is going to pick up the story as they, in fact, are brought back from Egypt into the promised land. But first they have to get there, and this is how they got there. Joseph had been sent on ahead for their good in this convoluted way, in this way of of wisdom that God had put him even at the, the head of Egypt. Not only was Joseph alive, but he was also ruler over all of Egypt. And so he was able to provide for this household, the, the, which was also the household of God, in the midst of this famine, because five years were yet to come of this famine. In this passage, you will find good news from Egypt. Joseph is alive and is the ruler. You'll find worship at Beersheba and God's word in the midst of that worship. And then the arrival of Israel's house in Goshen. And think of these things in relation to you. You have good news of one who is greater than Joseph. You worship this same God who remains faithful. And you are a member of this people of God, which is still increasing and sojourning by faith. Let's look at the first section, the end of chapter 45, the good news from Egypt. Not only did Joseph tell his brothers to return and bring their father and the rest of their household. But this is what Pharaoh also said. Pharaoh was uh, friendly towards Joseph. He appreciated the work 
of Joseph. He knew Joseph. And so he was also, he and his servants were glad to hear that his brothers had come, were eager to show them hospitality, and even commanded Joseph to make these provisions, to get them the wagons, to get them the provisions so that they could bring the whole people, the, the wives, the little ones, into the land of Egypt that they would live there and be provided for. And so Pharaoh and Joseph send the brothers back with instructions, inviting the household to move to the best land of Egypt. And then the brothers go on their journey. They tell the news to their father, and his heart grows numb. He's paralyzed. He doesn't believe at first. This is tremendous uh, news to drop upon him. Joseph, the one you have mourned for 22, 23, however many years, is alive. Not only that, but he's governor of Egypt. He's the very man that we've been talking about, you know, the man down in Egypt. That's Joseph, your son. He doesn't believe at first, but then he sees the wagons. Where do these wagons come from? And he hears the words that Joseph had spoken. They sound like true words of Joseph, and he believes, and his heart revives, his soul revives, and he resolves to go see his son. Joseph was alive. That was good news, both because Jacob loved his son and because it meant that he and his household would be well provided for. He was alive, and he was alive for their good. The greater Joseph lives too. Who am I talking about? Jesus, right? Jesus, as we saw earlier, is like Joseph. He's like Judah in some respects. We have these early prefiguring, these early pictures of what Jesus would be like in the work of God raising up these people in the Old Testament to provide for his people. But unlike Joseph, who was merely thought to have died and who had gone to prison, Jesus truly died. And he came back to life. Not only is he alive, he is risen. He once was dead and now lives forevermore, back from the death, out of the tomb, same body, now glorified and now sitting at the Father's right hand. You have the good news, the gospel, that Jesus, our dear Lord, died for our sins and rose again for your justification. To the surprise and the joy of his disciples, who res- responded much as Jacob, uh, with, with some hesitation at first, with some shock at first, Thomas was a little uncertain at first, but then in time, believing the word and coming to Jesus. Jesus is risen for the good of his people that we might live and not die forever. And as we believe this good news, even as when Jacob believed, our souls revive. I mean, they revive in in a much greater sense that we are born again, that we now live and no longer dwell in death, but also revive in in the more general sense that, that, that gives us joy, that gives us peace, It gives us relief to know that our Lord is risen, even as we sung earlier. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus is risen. So receive the good news, like uh, the household of Joseph did, that he was living and was the king, that he rules, even as we rejoice that Jesus is risen. Not only that, he is the king. He sits at the Father's right hand. He provides eternal life. Uh, He is 
given authority over all flesh that he might give eternal life to those whom the Father gave him. He is the ruler, and that is good. Also, in this way, so in, a, in accord with that, the Lord provided for his people through Joseph, even through Pharaoh, that Pharaoh provided these good things for Jacob's house. Jacob blessed Abraham's family and was blessed accordingly as well, as uh, much as God's promise had said, that those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. There was a previous Pharaoh who, who mistreated Abraham's household, who took Sarah, remember, and plagues came upon them. But this Pharaoh was good to, to Jacob's family and was being helped by Joseph. <clears throat> the Lord will provide for his people today as well. Through King Jesus and by his providence, God directs the world for the maintenance of his people uh, to support it, to build his church, to protect it against all the forces that would seek to destroy it. If he cares for the birds and the grass, how much more will he care for you, his children? He can even turn the hearts of kings to do good to his church. He would later do this in the return from Babylon, so that even the emperor of Persia would supply the people of God with what they needed to go back to the land and to build the temple. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of earth. He's not sitting at Pharaoh's right hand. He's sitting at the Father's. How much more will he provide for and protect his church? He cares for his church, not only physically, that it doesn't die off, uh, but also spiritually, ruling and defending us against all forces of evil and death. Now, having this good news that Jesus is risen and is alive, we should also heed what Joseph told his brothers. What did Joseph tell his brothers after this great revelation? They got this great news. They're going back to Canaan. Do not quarrel on the way. It's a good word to the church too, right? Do not quarrel on the way. The idea of quarreling here, the word is like, do not be stirred up or do not stir up one another. Uh, there's a little debate exact. What's the exact meaning of that? I think there's probably two aspects. Don't trouble yourself, because he had already told them that. Don't be angry at yourself. You know, uh, and, and also, don't trouble one another. Don't argue, well, if only you hadn't done that, well, I'm not the one who threw him into the pit. Well, and, and try to shift the blame as they're going to figure out how to explain this to their father. No, don't quarrel on the way. Be at peace uh, with yourself. Have a peace of conscience. You're forgiven. It's good news that you have, and therefore don't quarrel with each other. Uh, you don't need to pass on the blame and, and fight and envy one another. We're seeking to get over that. You have good news now. You can be at peace. And that's true for the church as well. You have good news. Should you mar it by your behavior and start a new quarrel? Would that make sense? No, rather bear with one another, forgive as you have been forgiven. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Do not quarrel on the way. Well, they get back to, to Jacob. He receives the news. He resolves to go and to see Joseph. But what does he do before he gets to Egypt? Let's look at the next section, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 46. <clears throat> As he travels south from 
the oaks of Mamre from Hebron. He comes to near the border of Canaan, one of its southernmost portions, a, a town there named Beersheba. And at Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. This is a place that his father and his grandfather had worshipped. It was named Beersheba, the oath of the, the well, and that they had made peace with the Philistines. And also, God had spoken to his father, Isaac, there and, and affirmed his promises to Isaac. Now, as he's on the edge of the promised land, he worships his God. And then God, that night, or at least in a night, probably the next night, speaks to Jacob and gives him assurance that you can go down to Egypt and do not fear to go to Egypt. I will fulfill my promises to you uh, even there. As God had spoken there to Jacob's father Isaac, so he also spoke to Jacob. Jacob was planning to leave the promised land, but he wanted to make it clear that he was not abandoning his God. He was not forsaking the promises. He still claimed his father's God as his own. Notice the emphasis here on his father's God. It's also his God. He gave thanks to God, no doubt, for this good news about Joseph, as he worshipped then the giver of all good gifts. Perhaps he was also wanting to be sure that this move was God's will, uh, asking, calling upon God uh, for direction or for assurance. After all, when his father had gone headed towards Egypt, when there was a famine, God had appeared to him in a vision and said, do not go to Egypt. Sojourn in the land of the Philistines. So what did God want Jacob to do? And so he received a word that in this case was different. Go to Egypt. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt. This is part of my plan this time. Notice also not only a parallel to God's relations with Isaac, but what Jacob had experienced much earlier in his life. This was not the first time that Jacob had left the promised land. Earlier in his life, he had fled from his brother Esau, and God had appeared to him in a vision at Bethel with the ladder that came down from heaven. That time, it hadn't started with sacrifices. God appeared on his own initiative to Jacob and building this ladder, if you will, from heaven to Jacob. And Jacob then responded the rest of his life in service to the Lord. Both times, certain uncertainty had lay ahead of them. Both times, he was going to meet long-lost kinsmen in a foreign land. Both times, God reassured Jacob that he would be with Jacob wherever he went. He was the God not only of Canaan, but of all the earth, and that he would fulfill his promises to be with Jacob through thick and thin. So think of this in relation to yourself. Isaac sacrificed to the God of his father. He had not forgotten his God, the God of his father. So you too should be careful to worship the Lord your God. He has been our refuge in all generations. He is the God of our father Abraham, our father Isaac, our father Jacob, perhaps your own father, uh, depending on your family heritage. But we all have a heritage of faith that we can see God's faithfulness from generation to generation, and we call on the same God. And that's, he would show this faithfulness to us today. He is faithful. He keeps covenant from generation to generation. And as you desire God to go with you, wherever you go, 
So wherever you go, go with God, calling upon him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do this in private as you close the door and worship God in secret between you and God. It's not just a display for other people to see. Call upon your Lord in secret. Call upon the Lord with your household and your family, as Jacob did. Jacob's family worship, though, of course, was also public worship, uh, as he sacrificed to the Lord there, and where everyone could see, we worshiped God also in the assembly, in the congregation. We ought to worship the Lord. God also reaffirmed his promises to Jacob, assuring him of his abiding presence. So God continues today to be faithful to his covenant promises. He will go and be with all those who believe in him. All those who come to him, all those who come to Christ, he will never cast out, but he will raise them up on the last day. The promises that he mentions should sound familiar as we've gone through Genesis. I myself will go with you to Egypt. This promise of blessed fellowship with God, not curse, but rather of blessing and and fellowship with God. Also the promise of offspring. There I will make you into a great nation. Also the promise of land and inheritance. I will bring you up again. You're not going to remain in Egypt. You're going to come back to the land that I've promised you. And I will make sure, I will do it. I will bring you up. So it was God's will that they go down to Egypt. And he would remain faithful to his promises there. That's an emphasis here. He would still be with them. He would still multiply them. They would still receive the promised land. In fact, Egypt had been prepared, as it were, as a nursery or as a forge, as a place where they would grow, where they would expand, where they would not be mixed with the Canaanites, and that they would be able to come back then to possess the land when the time was right. Just as Jacob had multiplied in the household of Laban and then returned to the land, so it would be with the whole nation of Israel. This time of exile, as it were, uh, would actually be a time of growth and progress. Now, these promises are in, in not just for the Old Testament, not just for uh, Jacob, but they're, in principle, enduring covenant promises that the Father fulfills through his Son. Not only does Jesus receive them as the promised heir of Abraham, but he gives a share in them to all who believe in him. Jesus brings sinners into a blessed and abiding fellowship with God so that the New Testament too can say, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus builds up his people as a great nation. You're like living stones being built up into a holy temple that God calls his holy nation that is being built up into a great multitude through you and through your children and all whom he calls by the gospel and grafts on to his people. And also Jesus shall give you a land, an eternal inheritance in his kingdom. He'll lead forth his people over the generations in history, and he will bring them into glory. So believe in God's promises in Christ, and do not be afraid, therefore, to follow him through thick and thin, wherever you go. Then the last part, verses 5 through 34 describes how they arrive in Goshen, in the land of Egypt. The household of Israel moved to Egypt, and it's, a, it's listed here, uh, 70 
descendants, including Jacob and those directly descended from him, numbered 70 in this genealogy, and then also recounts how Joseph greeted his father and how they finally reunite and meet each other. Israel moved to Egypt with his household, now more of a tribe, because his, his sons also have wives and they have children. The number 70 does not include his daughters-in-law or their servants. It numbers Israel and 69 descendants of his, so a total of 70 offspring of Abraham. <clears throat> There's a little debate on some of the details of the genealogy. It's possible some of these were born after they arrived in Egypt, because Benjamin, for example, has several sons and even grandsons. Uh, when you compare it to other genealogies, and he was probably in his 20s. So there's debate on how you would harmonize some of these things and um, why it's put the way it is. Uh, But I think from the way that it's organized, you could organize the genealogy in several different ways. You could count people in different ways. Um, This is an accurate genealogy, but it's also put there in such a way to emphasize, first of all, the descendants These are descendants from Abraham, descendants from Isaac, descendants from Jacob, from his own body. And why is that important? Because God had promised to increase Abraham's offspring uh, and to multiply them. And at first it's all like, oh, just one, Isaac. And then again, oh, there's two of them, Isaac and, or sorry, Jacob and Esau, but then Esau goes astray. All right, we're back down to one, but now we have 70. Uh, that God had been good, that he had been fulfilling his promise to Abraham and his offspring. It's also constructed in such a way that we come to the number 70. Uh, and that's important as a, as a full number, as a certain preliminary fulfillment. Earlier in Genesis, we saw a list of 70 nations that came from Noah that were uh, representing the peoples of the whole earth. And now we have 70 descendants of Abraham as they enter into Egypt and embark on the next era of Israel's history. Later, there would be 70 elders of Israel. It's both a large number compared to one. It's also a very small number compared to how many later came out of Egypt as a transition point. So first of all, the Lord has multiplied his people. That was true then. It's true now. We should look back in gratitude for the work that God has done, that the Lord has multiplied his people in accordance with his promise. No longer is his people today a small people in one corner of the earth. The heirs of Abraham by faith now number in the hundreds of millions or even billions, I mean, depending on how you count it, but they are found throughout the earth in vast numbers, a third of the world's population now claims the name of Christ. Uh, the Lord has multiplied his people. But secondly, the Lord will multiply his people. Again, the 70 was small compared to what was yet to come. <clears throat> so God is not done multiplying his people today. Do you think that he decided to stop now? Like, oh, a third, that's where I'm going to cut it off. Uh, I think, uh, you know, 2023, that's where we're going to stop multiplying God's people. Uh, There's no reason to believe that. 
Christ is still on his throne. God's word still stands. He will multiply his people. In Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Christ will raise up another generation to serve him. I mean, first of all, if you don't add to God's people, they eventually die out. So, of course, he'll need to keep adding to the number, those who are being saved. He will continue to build his church. It will not perish. But he'll also continue to extend his kingdom. If it's increased, there will be no end. Has his promise to be the God, to be God to you and to your children been rescinded? Are all the nations yet blessed in Christ? Have the fullness of the Gentiles come in yet? Has the partial hardening upon Israel been lifted yet? Is the earth yet filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea? We can both be grateful for what the great works that the Lord has done and also look forward to what the Lord will do. The church may go through times of decline or exile where there is a remnant, but God has a future and a hope for his people that they might multiply and not decrease. God is not done yet. And so may the people of the Lord trust in his word, as Jacob did then, and moved on after receiving the word of the Lord and moving with this household down into the land of Egypt. They were well provided for there. Jesus, uh, Joseph uh, even has a plan that there is a land, Goshen. Pharaoh simply said the best of the land. Joseph has a particular idea that there's this land where they could live, somewhat set apart, maintain their identity as, as Israelites, and grow there. It was a good land, and he has also a plan for how they could get that particular land, that they're shepherds, that the Egyptians don't want to be that close uh, to them. And they're able to therefore live and incubate and dwell there. And so they go forth resting upon God's word. God did care for his people in Egypt. Jacob did meet Joseph. They were reunited in Goshen. Great affection, satisfaction at his reunion. Jacob said, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. This was the hope of his life that he was happy to see it. He was content now. This is what his great hope had been. Jacob's words are similar to the words of Simeon when he saw Jesus in the temple, that all his lifelong he had looked forward to see the Lord's Christ. And when Jesus was brought as an infant to the temple, Simeon sought and rejoiced and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Those words actually could have been applied in a limited sense to Joseph that Joseph had been raised up for the salvation of his people in the eyes of all the peoples, but how much more for Jesus were these things true? The long expectation being fulfilled, and now we have it, that Jesus is risen and has come. So you have good news. As Jacob had good news, as the Israelites had good news, not only Joseph, but Jesus is alive and is risen and reigns and rules for your good. So believe and take heart. Let your soul revive. And let the nations rejoice. You have God in your midst, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness who goes with you, not only in the Middle East, but here in America too. That he is a God of all the earth. A God with you through Jesus Christ, who is 
God with us. So worship him, call upon him, offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, and do not fear. You are a member of this same people of God who is still increasing, that is on its pilgrimage by faith. God has been good to his people, and he is not done yet. May he receive all the glory and praise and honor in his church and unto the ages of ages. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for the good news regarding your son Jesus, that even as you raised Joseph up from the pit many years ago for the uh, deliverance of your people from famine and extinction, that you have also now raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead for the salvation of them and us and all your people throughout their generations from eternal death and from judgment. We pray that you would revive our souls in joy and peace, that we might not uh, quarrel with one another, but rather rejoice in love and in fellowship, looking to what you have done for us and what you have promised to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.